Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. I want to be there. When that time comes and we sit down, we just got to make it happen. Let's get it over with as quick as possible. You are locked on Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on Instagram at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and Facebook.com slash RedRockBasketball. You can also support the show, if you do enjoy it, over at Patreon.com slash RedRock underscore B-Ball. We're here to do, to do another of the season in review podcasts the last of the non-playoff teams, and that is, of course, the Miami Heat, a team that just missed out on the playoffs on the last day of the season. So let's get to it. Let's get to it indeed. Let's talk Miami Heat. And with some of these teams we've spoken about, the New Orleans Pelicans, they used 26 players for the season. The Heat, 15. And normally they're a team that that brings players in and and tries some things out. That wasn't the case this year. They uh, obviously started the season off really poorly, finished it strongly with that uh, real even split, 31 and uh, 10, also 30 and 11, uh, 11 and 30 start, 30 and 11 finish for them to finish the season at 41 and 41. They underperformed their win or their expected win total by three wins, which would have obviously got them into the playoffs. Alas, they are stuck on the outside looking in after a tremendous second half of the season, which saw Eric Spolstra nominated for the coach of the year. Um, lots of interesting things happening with Miami, but a lot of unknown uh, things heading into the future for this team with uh, so many free agency decisions that they have to make or the players on their team have to make. They do have one draft pick in this upcoming draft. That's pick 14. They've never been a team that's really uh, you know, had many of these uh, high draft choices given the way that they've played over the past 10 years or so. They did obviously have Justice Winslow a couple of years ago. and then they, Most of the guys they bring in are either free agents or um, developing some later picks with guys like uh, with uh, Josh Richardson, who's uh, the probably the number one of those guys uh, of recent times. Tyler Johnson, another one of those which they, they found out of the D-League. Pick 14 for them. I think they'd just be looking for, for any sort of player that they can get at, at that spot. They don't have massive glaring weaknesses. Obviously, power forward is a, is an issue with the, um, potential absences of both Jimmy Johnson and Luke Babbitt. And of course, Chris Bosch will come off the books at some point in the coming weeks and months as they, uh, agree to an injury settlement that will, uh, take his cap hold at 20 plus million dollars off the books. For the Heat may be clearing the way for him to play for another team. That that remains to be seen, but he won't play for the Miami Heat again once his uh once his um arrangement gets sorted with um with the Heat and with the league office, which is something they are they are working on at the moment, and we expect to have that um sorted soon. I don't know if we'll ever see Chris Bosch back in the NBA. I would say at this point it seems doubtful. He keeps making all the right noises that he's looking to come back, but I uh, I have my doubts that Bosch will uh, will ever make it back into the NBA and become a meaningful player, which is sad because he was great and his career has been fantastic and he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. But um, unfortunately, his uh, career ended a couple of years too early due to this uh, unfortunate blood clotting issue. But of course... Yeah, safety first. He's made enough money. He's played this game as much as he, uh, as much as he could. He's got a, he's got a great career ahead of him in, uh, in media work, I believe. I think he's going to be awesome at that sort of a thing. So I think that he should be looking to do that. Not that I'm one to tell him what to do with his career, but, um, he's had a good run with basketball and I just don't think we ever see him back on the court. In terms of their free agency, there are a lot of just, I'll pick 14 for them. There's a number of different ways they could go, uh, with that again, looking for a, a big, maybe a guy like Larry Markinen falls to them. That's a possibility. I wouldn't have any issue with them picking him there. 
Basically, they want to get a little bit of front court stability and to get some guys there in case Johnson or, or Babbitt leaves or, or just get some uh, extra stability, maybe a big, maybe a guy like John Collins would be a good fit for them as a backup for Hassan White. So I really do like that fit for the Heat at, at that selection. Now, their free agency, um, we've got Udonis Haslam, who's an unrestricted free agent. He's either coming back to the Heat on a uh, on a loyalty deal or he's retiring. He was pretty horrible this season, as he has been for the past four years, five years perhaps. But if he's not ready to hang them up, he'll uh, he'll return and play very limited minutes. Otherwise, you would think he'd move into a coaching role or some sort of front office role with that Heat. He is he is the Heat, and the Heat love Udonis Haslam. Luke Babbitt is an unrestricted free agent. Oh, look, he started games. Uh, I was critical sometimes of the way that they played him minutes at the expense of guys like James Johnson, but I thought he did his job as a stretch four, filling in that role that Josh McRoberts was unable to fill. Um, uh, by the way, Josh McRoberts has taken up his player option, so he will be back for next season. It makes sense considering he, he's not able to stay on the court, so he gets he gets that money. I think Babbitt, they would look to bring him back if, if the price was right. The uh the ones that they have the the question marks on I guess is uh is, is our boy Jimmy Johnson. It gives me an excuse to play this song. I've, I've been I've been waiting to do it for a while. He was tremendous this season, but he signed a one year deal. They don't have bird rights to re-sign him. We'll talk about this a little bit later with Jimmy Johnson, but I think that they'll be really looking to bring him back, and I think that he'll want to return. It's probably his best situation for, not necessarily for money, but money, you can get a pretty decent deal here with this team. Um, they just don't get that real big advantage over re-signing him as opposed to uh, to other so- sides. But I, I do think that he will be back. The other decisions that they have to make, some of them are pretty straightforward. Um, Wayne Allington has a $6.3 million non-guaranteed deal. Anyone say $6.3 million for Wayne Allington? I think that's right about on the money for him, He for what he does in that 18-minute role, hitting threes, doing it well. You're going to be hard-pressed to find that sort of player at that sort of money. I think they bring him back at that guaranteed deal. The other one, of course, is Dion Waiters, who has got that $3 million player option. He will decline that, and he looks like he wants to be back in uh, Miami. So you would assume that unless he gets you know, ridiculous you know, $15, $20 million offers, which I don't think will be the case, but unless he gets massive offers elsewhere, he'll look to be back in Miami. Willie Reed has also got a $1 million player option. I think that he will decline that and he will become an unrestricted free agent. He is a little bit older than what you expect, and I think that they would look to replace him with either a draft choice like a John Collins or bring someone else in. But he was solid when he had the chance. Uh, I just think that he would look to opt out and get more money, and Miami might not be willing to pony that up, especially when they've got to take care of Waiters and James Johnson as well. There are three guys who are non-guaranteed apart from Allington. The biggest no-brainer of that lot is uh, Joshy Richardson at $1.5 million non-guaranteed. That's uh, that's as guaranteed as it gets. Scooter Magruder is at $1.3 million as well. He was really good for this team. Um, he will be, they will guarantee that deal. There's no doubt about that. He was one of the big surprises of the season, playing uh, 78 games and starting 65 of them. No doubt whatsoever that Scooter Magruder will become, uh, or they will guarantee his deal. And the other one is Okaro White, who's got a $1.3 million a non-guaranteed deal, and I'd be pretty stunned if they didn't bring Okaro back. He was quite solid for them down the stretch as well. So you'd look, they'd be bringing back Ellington, Richardson, Magruder, and White on those non-guaranteed deals, and looking to re-sign Johnson and Waiters and Babbitt. I don't. The only guys I see them you know, missing out on is perhaps Reed, and, and depending on what Haslam does. But I think they'll look to bring those other guys back, maybe. Unless they can get some, you know, big name free agent to come, which I'm not so sure on that, that they'll be able to do that. They, they, they very well could. Does, is Blake Griffin the guy they look to bring in and, and sacrifice, uh, Johnson? Uh, so Griffin can come in. That's a move you make every day of the week, despite my love for James Johnson. Of course, you bring in Blake Griffin, but they do have quite a few decisions to make. And it is going to be really interesting to see how guys like Johnson and Waiters fare on the open market or what sort of deal Miami offers them. Let's have a look at some of their numbers for the season. They were 17th in offensive rating, right in the middle of the pack. But uh, their success was fueled by their defense. Fifth in defensive rating, a lot of that brought on by the play of guys on the on the wing, like Tyler Johnson's quite good defensively. Joshua Richardson, Goran Dragic, not bad, but the front court as well with Johnson and uh, James Johnson and Hassan Whiteside really steering this team to that fifth best defensive rating. 26th in free throw rate, that'd be something they'd look to improve on. They don't have many driving sort of players that's really just Goran Dragic in that role. They were fourth in terms of uh, limiting their opponent 
effective field goal percentage, so that's part of their defense there as well. Third in blocks, and they allowed the fewest three-point maids and three-point attempts at the third lowest three-point percentage. So that's obviously part of that good defense. Now, three-point percentage does have an element of luck associated with it, but allowing three-point attempts doesn't. So they were quite good at being able to shut down oppositions bombing away from three and then limited them uh, being able to hit those shots as well with some of their very good perimeter defense that they did have out there. Their highest offensive rating on the team, Willie Reed, I guess somewhat surprisingly, and then the Duke, Wayne Ellington, Hassan Whiteside, Goran Dragic, and Tyler Johnson, whereas the best defensive rating, I don't think there's too much surprise here, Whiteside, Haslam, Jimmy Johnson, and Willie Reed. Whiteside, I'll talk, I'll talk about him a little bit later. They had five guys over 40% on corner threes. Waiters, Richo, Dragic, Babbitt, and Allington. No surprises there. Well, Justice Winslow, just the 29% from three. He really does need to work on his ability to hit any sort of shot before he takes a step forward. And we don't really know where he's at heading into his third season after having that shoulder injury that uh, cost him the entirety of the year. Wayne Allington, for a guy that hit... You know, as many threes as he did, he took like 70% of his shots from threes, which is obviously a huge amount. He also hit 85% at the rim, a very low amount, but that's a huge conversion rate. Scooter Magruder went at 71%. In contrast, Justice Winslow, 47%. So not only could he could not hit threes, but he couldn't hit any shots. As I said, he couldn't hit at the rim. That really, he needs to work on that finishing. He needs to work on any sort of offensive play, uh, shooting especially for, uh, for Justice to take that step forward. Winslow, and again, for a guy that, that can't shoot, only 40% of his two-point attempts were assisted. So meaning that the other 60, or oh, sorry, the, the, the other 60% of his shots were him trying to create his own shot, which for a guy that can't shoot and not a great dribbler, that's not an ideal um, combination. And normally you see in those percentage assisted that the lower percentage assisted belongs to the point guard, to the guys handling the ball. Winslow, 40% of his two points assisted was actually a lower amount than Tyler Johnson, the guy that was the backup point guard on this team, which to me is is phenomenal that Winslow's number was so low in that area. So he's got a lot of things that he needs to change as part of his offensive game. PR, Hassan Whiteside led 22.6, also in true shooting at 57.9, while Dragic led the team in usage at 27.1. Whiteside dominated the win shares at 9.5 and win shares per 48, while offensive box score plus minus went to Dragic. Defensive box score plus minus went to Jimmy Johnson. And overall box score plus minus, it was a tie between Jimmy and Dragic at 2.7, and Dragic led the team in VORP. So they were the three guys that really led this team, Johnson, Dragic, and Whiteside, with a sprinkle of waiters in there. Obviously, that ankle injury that he suffered during the season uh, did hurt him or did hurt this team in general. But it was it was Johnson, Dragic, and uh, Whiteside that led the team. And I, I still cannot believe that Jim Johnson did not get a nomination for sixth man of the year. He was absolutely superb for this team. They only played three lineups of over 100 minutes. All three of those were positive. The most used lineup they had was Dragic, Magruder, Waiters, Babbitt, and Whiteside. And that was a plus 1.4. But their best lineup out of those three was one that included the two Johnsons, Dragic, Jim Johnson, Tyler Johnson, the Duke, Wayne Ellington, and Willie Reed. So basically, Dragic with bench guys, although yeah, including Jimmy Johnson as a bench guy is not really fair because he was he was the, the best power forward on this team by a considerable margin. Their most used four-man lineup, Babbitt, Dragic, Scooter Magruder, and Whiteside, and that was about even while their best four-man once again included the Johnson boys, Jimmy and Tyler, with Joshy Richardson and Wayne Allington, which was a plus 12.5. Their best three-man, Waiters, Magruder, and Whiteside, was a plus nine, while their most used three-man was Dragic, Magruder, and Whiteside, and so that was uh, spot on even, while the most used two-man, Whiteside, and Dragic, was a plus 1.1. So when your best two players are a positive, that's always a good sign, while their best, their best two-man lineup, the Duke and James Johnson, plus 7.8. You see Jimmy Johnson's name appearing in uh, numerous areas in this uh, for this team because they were that, or well, he was, um, he was that good for them this season. Let's get in and break these guys down now in a little bit of extra detail. The first player we look at is the highest ranked player on this team, and that's Hassan Whiteside. He came in as the 24th ranked player. There was a fair degree of hope that he could be a first-round player this year. I was pretty excited for him, but he took a significant step backwards in uh, his block rate, and that's what really, really did um, drop his value down. We saw him average in his 77 games and 33 minutes, which is an extra four minutes a game. He went at 17 points and 14 rebounds up from 14 and 12 the year before. So 
took his scoring up, took his uh, field goal attempts up by three and a half a game, a big increase there as he took on extra offensive load. His rebounding went up as well. In, in, in fact, not only his rebounding went up, but his rebounding rate went up too. He's never going to be an assist player. In fact, he totaled just 57 assists for the season. That's up from 30 last year, but still just 57.7 steals. But his blocks went down from 3.7 a game to 2.1 per game. So he blocked 269 shots the year before, 163 this season. And that is the reason that he fell from being like a 10th or 11th ranked player down to being the 23rd ranked player, a significant drop for Hassan Whiteside. In head-to-head ranks, he was a little bit better, 17th for the season, 16th pre-18th post, but last year he was the 6th ranked player in my head-to-head ranks. And part of the reason that uh, he's better in head-to-head versus that rotisserie style ranking is the free throw percentage discrepancy and the lack of assists that he has. Now, I was very critical of Whiteside this season. He fixed his free throws last year. Second half of the year, different style of shooting, that, that mini jump shot from the line, and was able to go at 70% in the last three months of the year and like 75% for the last two months. And he thought, all right, he's got this sorted. Fast forward to this season, and this is on Whiteside, and it's on the coaching staff as well. He started the season without that new style. He went back to his old free throw style, and he was hitting like 55%, 60%. And you go, what, what, what on earth are you doing? What would make you go, I have got this big problem where I can't hit free throws. Oh my God, I fixed it. I've done it for three months in a row. I've got a new style. The shot is going down. I'm taking lots of attempts, and it's working. Bang, solved. And then you go to the next season, you go, you know what? How about we just go back to the way it was before where I was terrible? And then persist with that for two, three months before you go, hey, let's revert back to the style that worked. And he did. And the last, um, and the post all-star break portion of Whiteside season, he shot 75% from the line on five attempts a game. So not, an, not a, a punt guy. And that's the real frustrating part of it. Again, it's on him for being a dick and it's on the coaching staff for not saying, Hassan, don't shoot him this old way. Shoot it the new way. Shoot it the way that works. It, it, it is poor, poor coaching. And I, I like Spolstra. I like the coaching stuff. I like the Hoyte organization, but that is poor on both Whiteside and Spolstra's part. There were a lot of criticisms of Whiteside. Oh, he's got paid now. Um, yeah, last year was just a contract year. He's gonna, he's gonna ease up. I don't think that's the case at all. He scored, he took on a bigger load offensively. His hustle rebound numbers were, were way up. But what also happened is that teams did start to avoid him with his shot blocking, and that's what caused that number to decrease. So I wouldn't be expecting it to jump back to three, or well, 3.7 was a huge number. We weren't expecting him to go back at 3.7 per game, but at least to get 2.9 to three was an expectation, not down to the 2.1. So I don't necessarily think it, it goes back up to that. He did play much better defense for the season rather than uh, be just an aggressive shot blocker. So that's the trade-off, I guess. Better defense, which he provided, but not as many uh, block shots. So I think he's going to be a pretty solid uh, second or third rounder next season. And we just hope, fingers crossed, that he actually keeps that free throw style. And that enables him to, instead of being a 60% shooter, to be a 75% shooter, maybe give you an extra two points per game. And, And can he then average 18 and 14? 19 and 14 with two blocks? They're really big numbers, plus 56% from the field, which dipped a little bit as he took on more responsibility. But still, Hassan Whiteside, you would say it's a successful season, even though he dropped about a round in value, in large part due to those block numbers coming right down. But I think you'll be able to get him in that second, third round. But people are going to be, I'm never drafting him again. He was a bust. And that will enable you to get some value out of him at that second or third round spot. And I expect fairly similar numbers from Hassan. Not really. Look, I think he might get a marginal bounce back in his blocks, maybe up to 2.3, 2.4, but definitely not, uh, not now cracking that 3.7. And he probably won't even approach the, uh, the three mark. The team was two and a half points better off with him on the court as well. So that's always, uh, always a good thing. Goran Dragic played 73 games, 34 game, 34 minutes a game. 20 points, one and a half threes, four boards, six assists, 1.2 steals. And as always, super efficient going 47 and 79 with 41% shooting from three, which is uh, not something you always associate with Dragic. He was 35 two years ago, 31 last season. In fact, this is his best three-point shooting season since that All-NBA year in Phoenix where he shot 41%. So whether you're going to get 31% Dragic or 40% Dragic from three, it's always a little bit up in the air. But one thing you know is he will always be an efficient scorer. His last four years field goal percentage, 51, 50, 48, 47. Yeah, they're really high numbers for a for a point guard. Positive contributions in that field goal percentage category, which you don't often get. 
from a point guard. And this is his first 20 point scoring season again, back since that all NBA year in Phoenix. He's not a high steals guy, but he gets above average numbers there. Six assists, one and a half threes, which is a huge number. And he was fantastic. He was a pretty comfortable top 50 guy. Thrived without Dwayne Wade there, which is something that we did expect from him. And he was always touted as being that top 50 guy. And that's exactly where he ended up during the season uh, with a rank of 40, uh, 44 for the year. Do we expect the same out of Dragic again next season? Unless they decide to trade him, I would expect a marginal drop-off. He will be 31 next year. Um, maybe he, he gets a little bit of a drop, but otherwise the usage will be fine. The scoring will be fine. Now, one thing we, we might see is with a healthy Josh Richardson, that that takes a little bit of the ball handling and a little bit of the scoring away from Dragic. So maybe he's not quite a top 50 guy. But I don't think he's falling outside the top 60 or outside the top 70. He'll be in that mid-range zone. Just at the age of 30, you'd expect maybe a marginal drop-off and that consistency with his three-point shot is probably what's going to do it. If he doesn't hit 1.63s and he hits 1.2, then that drops him from 45 to 55 or 60, whereas in the scoring goes from 20 down to 18 in a game or, or something like that, and that, that causes that drop. So that would be what I'd anticipate from uh, Goran for next season. He was basically, well, the team was basically new whether he was on or off the court with an on-off of negative 0.2, so not much uh, not much difference there. The leader in on-off numbers for this team was, of course, our boy Jimmy Johnson, who had a remaculous, that's a, that's a remarkable and uh, ridiculous season mixed together. So a remaculous season from Jim. He played 76 games, 27 minutes a game, uh, only started five of them, and while I, I, I think that he was obviously good enough to start, I don't have a problem with him coming off the bench. I have a problem with him playing uh, as few minutes as he did, just 27 a game. 13 points, 1.1 threes, five boards, three and a half assists is a tremendous number. A steal, 1.1 blocks. He was a triple one guy. 48 from the field, 71 from the line, and 34% from three for a true shooting of 57%. James Johnson was an absolute fantasy stud this season. Yeah, putting up uh, top 70 numbers, he was the 66th ranked player. Uh, not quite as good in the head-to-head numbers because he's just such an even contributor, but still comfortably a top 100 guy. And probably the most asked question I got all through the season on Jim Johnson was um, either one, stop playing that song, or secondly, what is he going to be able to do next season? Love what he did here, but he's 30 years of age as well. This could be the peak for Jim Johnson, especially if he goes somewhere else. This was the perfect situation for Johnson. Having this role in Miami, um, Justice Winslow going down to give him extra run at the four as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is where it tops out for Jim. If he goes somewhere else, I don't think he's ever falling into this same role. But in saying that, he did this in just 27 minutes when he should have been playing 31 minutes a night, which would have had him very comfortably inside the top 50. His ability as the triple one guy to get almost four assists, five rebounds, and be efficient was absolutely ridiculous for Jimmy Johnson. He he was fantastic, and he finally realized that potential we saw from him in Toronto, in Memphis, in uh, in Chicago to a lesser degree. This was just a, a huge, huge performance from Johnson, and it wasn't just the fact that he got more minutes. He took his scoring rate up from 11.2 points per 100 possessions to 16.8 from his last year in Toronto to this year. He doubled his three-point output, in, increased his rebounding, doubled his assists, his steals and blocks stayed the same, and his efficiency, his free throws went from 57% to 71%. He got himself in shape. He got himself focused, and you would think that he would do that again, but it is going to depend on where he ends up and what role he... Look, he might find himself in a role where he can eat, play 30 minutes again, but it's got to be... He's got to find the right team to go to if he doesn't end up back in Miami, and even if he ends up back in Miami, the concern we have is Justice Winslow returning and taking some of those minutes away, because... Yeah, does that, if Winslow comes back, or when Winslow, Winslow comes back, you got Babbitt there, you got Johnson. What do they do? Do they just move Babbitt out of the rotation? That's a possibility. And, you know, I think if Johnson does come back to Miami, he is going to be a top 100 guy again. But I would expect a, a little bit of a dip as Winslow cuts in and as he ages one more year. And this just hasn't been the level of play that he's been able to put up in the past. I love Jim Johnson. He's always been a, a really interesting... um 
fantasy option some of that time if you remember if you can go back when he was out of the league and playing in the D league and then he got called up to Memphis and he was putting up just numbers that you go what is going on with this guy in like 18 minutes he was a standard league player because he was getting steals just pulling them out of his ass left right and center in fact in that year in Memphis he played only 18 minutes a game and averaged 1.1 blocks and 0.8 steals they're crazy numbers. And now he adds assists to him and played point center. He was so valuable for this team. And I think that they will bring him back. And I think that he will have another top 100 season. But how long it lasts remains to be seen. Again, he is much older than you think he is. But he was definitely one of my favorite players. He's been one of my favorite players for a while. And also the toughest guy in the NBA, no doubt about it. If, uh, if, James Johnson wants to mess with you. You just, uh, you just go cool. You know what, mate? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay here. We've got no, uh, we've got no issue. He's, um, if anyone's going to drop a fly kick on an NBA court, it's going to be, it's, oh, actually, you know what? He, he's not crazy though. He's just like intimidating. And when, when, uh, when you've got a neck tap and it's, uh, and it's not like, uh, old baby neck Wilson Chandler, when you've got that, uh, and that, that neck tap going and, uh, you look pretty scary, it's, uh, it's a good combination. And then you can go out there and be uh, be actually good at both ends of the court. I can't talk enough about Jim Johnson. Let's move on to another Johnson who was impressive as well. And that is Tyler Johnson. A real surprise to be a top 100 player. Many people blushed at the size of the contract that the Nets offered him and then the Heat matched. But in the end, he was he was good. 30 minutes a game, 13.7 points, 1.3 rebounds, 1.3 triples, 4 boards, 3.2 assists, 1.2 steals, over half a block, and 43, 77, and 37 as his percentages. They are all strong numbers from Tyler Johnson, but he's also going to suffer a little bit um, with the return of Justice Winslow, but more the fact that we're going to have a full healthy season from uh, from Joshy Richardson, who, who struggled. If Dion Waiters doesn't come back, then it's it's going to be massive for Richo. It's going to be massive for Tyler Johnson. But he was absolutely superb for this team. I wouldn't be expecting another top 100 finish from Tyler. Um, I think he's more a 14-team league guy heading into next season, but so much depends on what the Heat do in free agency, especially with... Uh, with waiters, whether they are, whether they bring him back or not, that's going to have a real impact on a guy like Johnson and on, uh, on Richardson. But he was really impressive this season, Tyler Johnson. Yeah, the, the solid rebounding, solid assist numbers. And he was a guy that you, you needed to own for, for really majority of the season after he started out that strong. But those 20 or 30 minutes a game that he played, I wouldn't be surprised to see that drop to say 27. And that might take him from a top 100 guy to a top 130 to a top 140 guy and really have that impact. Because you're going to have Dragic, Waiters, Richardson, and Johnson to play the 96 minutes there at the two guard positions. Now, you could push a guy like Joshi out to the three. But remember, we've got Justice Winslow returning to play there out at the three as well. And yeah, that, that's some extra minutes that weren't there in that, uh, or minutes that are going to go away that were, that were there in that second half of the season. So yeah, 96 minutes between four blokes is not a, uh, not a, not enough to, to have these players play the, the minutes that they probably deserve. And all four of Dragic, Johnson, Waiters and Richardson need or should be playing at least 30 with, um, yeah, Richardson, Dragic and Waiters, probably 33, 34. Though I think that Waiters, We'll talk about him in a sec. I think he's probably more effective in a 24-minute-a-game role, despite how good he was this year. I'm just not sure how um, how uh, he's going to be able to keep up that level. I'm, I'm not I'm not totally sold on on waiters. I think that um, I hope that we get more out of Richardson and Johnson can keep himself pretty stable in that role. But it was a super impressive season from a guy that that was nowhere near that level the year before, took his rates up a fair bit, his assists, his rebounds, his threes, his scoring, uh, his blocks, his steals. He improved in all those areas. The only thing he really he went back on is his field goal percentage, which went from 49 to 43%. But otherwise, it was a, a great season to announce himself after signing that deal of like, here, here I am, I deserve this money, and uh, I am a key part of this team. Let's talk down waiters who did play only 46 games for the Heat with that ankle problem, which cost him the end of the season and uh, earlier on a few games too. 30 minutes a game for waiters, 16 points, 1.83s, three and a half boards, four and a half assists, a steal, half a block, 42 and 65, and shot 39% from three. He was obviously very, very impressive for this team, but he was only the 115th ranked player in fantasy, so found himself behind Tyler Johnson because his game overall is not that fantasy friendly. 
Now, it's good that he averaged 16 points, two threes, four and a half rebounds. They're really good numbers, but his poor free throw percentage uh, is is an issue, and he's not a high steals guy getting just 0.9. So that does limit him from a fantasy point of view. Now, that he was a real key factor for this team. They were 2.6 points per 100 possessions better off with him on the court, and we saw the game winners that he was able to hit at times and have some ridiculous performances where he was shooting at just uh, sustained efficiency. But then he also had runs, and I think we forget this, that he had these runs where he, you know, in this stretch here of four games at the start of January, 33%, 29%, 24%, 29%, four games in a row, and taking you know, bulk shots. And then you know, a week later, he had three games in a row of 63, 65, 56. So he was quite inconsistent with his shooting and with his ability to hit those shots. And he's just not... Um, he's not an awesome, uh, not an awesome fantasy player. He is a solid one. I think he's going to be a player that maybe gets a little bit overdrafted next season. I can see that happen. And I think that his role is probably best suited as a 27 minute bench scorer guy. Um, and those assist numbers are, I think a lot of that came from the fact that Richardson was struggling and was out himself. And that role moves more into a Richardson point of view. Now, in terms of contract that Waiters is going to get offered, I think he's going to get offered maybe 15 million a year, maybe. And do the Heat want to pay that up? I think that they, I think they will want to bring him back, but I would be prioritizing Joshie Richardson and Tyler Johnson over Dion Waiters in terms of playing time and using him and having him as this sixth man scorer type rather than a starter that plays 34 minutes. I just don't see that as being a productive use of Dion Waiters as we move forward, but I could very much uh, be wrong on that and they could value him in a different way. I think that if you get an offer for a top 100 player back in a dynasty league for Dion Waiters, you do it and you do it immediately. I don't know if anyone would do that, but people, he is one of those players who people love. Um, they get real pumped for him. They love, you know, throwing out the, uh, the gifs of Dion Waiters standing mid court, arms crossed. They love his, uh, his brashness. They love all that stuff and they, they love that he's a scorer, which is valuable. And, and I think that he might get a little bit overvalued at this point of the year. And I do think that, you know, the 30 minutes a game, he might play less than that next season as he, uh, as he settles into to more of a of a backup role with with everyone healthy, of course everyone might not be healthy, and that might that might change as well. But uh, that's that's the way I currently see it going. With Dion, let's talk about my boy Joshy Richardson. He was a negative one point four with his on off numbers, and he did struggle at times for the year. He was one hundred and twenty first in thirty one minutes a game, and I think that's a pretty decent result considering how bad he was for stretches in his fifty three games that he played. Post All-Star, he got to 102nd in his rankings for the year. 10 points, one and a half threes, three boards, two and a half assists, 1.2 steals. But a lot of Josh Richardson's value comes from his ability as a shot blocker. 0.8 is absolutely massive for a shooting guard. Just 40% from the field, 78% from the line, and 33% from three. For remember what he did last year, he was shooting threes at an unsustainable rate, and obviously that was unable to be sustained. He hit his three-pointers at 46% last year, 33% this year. Where's the truth? It probably lies somewhere in between as a 36 to 37% shooter, and you'd expect his field goal percentage to bounce back from under 40 to maybe 43, 44 next year. But his ability to do defensive things, 1.2 steals, 0.8 blocks is ridiculous. He upped his assist rate as well. He's a, a willing ball handler, and he can be that secondary ball handler that this team needs. I would be expecting a big bounce back for uh, Joshy Richardson next season, a big step forward. Over the last 10 games of the year, he was a top 25 player, averaging 12.5, 2.23s, three boards, 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals, and 1.5 blocks, and was hitting those threes at 44%. But his value is not based entirely on threes. It's about his ability to block shots and get steals and get assists, and that is why he is super valuable. He is young. He can play backup point guard. He plays off the ball. He provides good defense, and he is the player that I think that they should be developing as that starting shooting guard, and they should be heading into the season with thinking Richardson's our starting two, and he should be playing 32 minutes a night, and Waiters and Johnson are the backups there. I think that's how Spolster will look at it. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, if people weren't paying attention to the stretch play of Josh Richardson last season, you'd be able to get him at a big discount given how much he sucked and uh, the hype that I was uh, I was partially to blame for providing for him heading into the season before he tore his MCL, of course, uh, wasn't able to be lived up to. But still, even having half a season and 
he was ranked 117th pre-game with a lot of those knee and wrist injuries, which uh, and foot injuries, which really bothered him, and the fact that his shooting regressed as much as it did from a 57 true shooting down to 49.6. It's a big drop. Expect to bounce back. Expect the defensive stuff to stick. And I'm really, really excited for Josh Richardson as a player heading into just his third season and starting to grow into a bigger role. I'm, I'm pumped for him. I'm really excited to see what he can bring. And I think that he has a legit chance. It's not a 80% chance. It's not a 60% chance, but he has got a non-insignificant chance of being a top 50 player next year. And that might be bold for me to say, but I don't think that looking at him saying he can't average 13 points, 1.73s, four boards, four assists, 1.8 steals and, and a block a game and shoot 44%. I don't think that's a stretch for me to say that. And that puts him very, very firmly in that top 50 discussion. I would never draft him there, but he is one of those guys that we talk about players. We talked about it with Charlotte the other day. Do you take a Marvin Williams or your Michael Kidd-Gilchrist who have limited upside at those late picks? Like how much better can they get Marcus Morris for Detroit, which we talked about a couple of days ago? Yeah, where is their upside? Yes, he's the 140th ranked player, but can he ever get better than that? No. Josh Richardson, if you're picking him there at 120, that is easily the better pick because he could very, very comfortably be that top 50 player. The growth potential in him is massive, and that is the guy that you want to pick. And even if you have to go around earlier and pick him at 90 or 100, the ability for him from, to go from there to top 50 is so far above so many of those other guys. And if it doesn't work out, who cares? Because as I, I do mention often, you turn over a third of your team anyway. Your bottom four or five picks are generally streamed out within the first three, four weeks of the season as you pick up hot free agents and injuries. Those guys move. So you end up with, with a team of that's nowhere near really what you drafted. And you lose at least you know, four or five guys off that drafted te- team and invariably that's your last four or five picks if they don't work out. But if they do work out, it's a massive, massive win. And and that's that's the sort of mentality I think you should be looking at when making those uh, making those selections, and that's the way that uh, that I look at Richardson heading into next season. Big big fan, as you're aware. Justice Winslow, team worst on off negative two point six. Wasn't great. Now he did have a, a, an an improved fantasy season. He was one forty fourth pre All Star. Uh, sorry, 142nd in his pre-all. We only played pre-all, so 142nd. So that's that's an improvement from what we saw from him uh, in his rookie season. He played just the 18 games this year, though, 35 minutes, 11 points, half a three, five boards. The most impressive part of his stat line is 3.6 assists, one and a half steals, and shot a putrid 35 and 62 with a true shooting of just 39%, and that really helped hold him back. We talked about he can't hit corner threes. He can't finish at the rim. He, he attempts to take all these shots and create it himself, and he can't do it. But his assists ability, his steals, um, his solid rebounding, that is all going to be useful. He played 35 minutes a game in those 18 minutes. Um, he will move back into a starting role. There is no doubt about that. And he is going to be a player that, like Richardson, I think is a very good late-round pick who's got that upside that if the shot goes from 35% to 43% in his third year, not an outlandish statement, 8% rises in third years are not uncommon. If he takes his free throws from 62 to 71, again, not an uncommon thing to do. And then his scoring then goes from 11 points to 16 points. And he hits a three game maybe. And then you still got five boards, three assists, and a potential to take it to, to 1.8 to two steals. And maybe he gets to 0.6 blocks. He has got top 80 upside. But it's a little bit more uncertain to me than what uh, Richardson is. And he does need to work a lot on that offensive game. But I think that he is going to be a very interesting player next year. And of course, yeah, the Heat did all this, and we saw big games from Waiters and big games from Jim Johnson and big games from Tyler Johnson, but they did it with without Richardson and Winslow for majority of the year. So when those guys come back up, it is going to impact what happens with a Jimmy Johnson, with a Tyler Johnson, with a Dion Waiters, almost without doubt as those guys push back up and start to uh, play more minutes. So that's why you take a little bit of you know, James Johnson and cut it back, Tyler Johnson and cut it back, Dion Waiters and cut it back, and you give Richo and Winslow a little bit of a bump up, or that, that's the way that I currently see it happening anyway. Um, 
But yeah, Winslow does have obviously you know, quite a few things to work on, especially offensively. He, he wasn't uh, he wasn't great in that area. It really piss poor PER of just eight point two, a horrendous offensive box score plus minus of negative four. But defensively, solid one point three defensive box score plus minus. The one thing you don't want to see is the fact that he had negative win shares. That's a horrible number to have, especially when no one else on the team had that. So he does have a lot of work to do, but most of that comes from the fact that he is just a disaster on offense and that really does need to work on that. But it's a possibility that it happens. Third year jump, maybe that does happen. And even if it doesn't, he doesn't become great at offense, if he can just become below average, the other numbers, the assists, the steals, um, the potential block rate increase, I think is going to be uh, something that can help him and become a, a useful fantasy guy. So he is going to be an interesting late round sort of a player to me. The Duke, Wayne Ellington, 24 minutes a game, 11 and a half points, but his value is definitely in that three point column. And I reference him on pretty much every show. He hit 2.4 threes per game last year, saying that if someone's only positive category is the fact that they hit two threes a game, then they're probably not worth drafting because you can find guys like the Duke on the waiver wire that give you two and a half threes a game. He had just two rebounds, one assist, 0.6 steals, and shot 42 from the field and 38 from three, including 86% from the line for a true shooting of 57%. So super efficient for Wayne Ellington, but Winslow, Richo returning, um, waiters not being injured. Those 24 minutes that Ellington got are probably going to be closer to 18 or 19. So the 2.4 triples are probably going to be closer to 1.9 or to two, but that can still have definite streaming use. And and have that idea in your mind that someone whose value Nick Young, you can comes extre- ex- not extremely comes exclusively from three pointers. Yeah, they're not worth drafting because you can find these sort of guys around. Ellington was a positive for this team, a three point one in his on off numbers, but it is all to do with his spacing and his efficiency. And for fantasy, we're just looking at those three pointers. And you would expect they do bring him back. I would expect a lesser role again as Richardson and Winslow get more minutes. Ellington's numbers are probably going to decrease. The other guy that probably sees a reduction in his playing time is Scooter Magruder. As a rookie, he was sensational. 78 games, 25 minutes. But from fantasy point of view, he's shit us. 6.3 points, 0.93s, 3.5 boards, 1.5 assists, half a steal, 41 and 62 for a true shooting of 51%. Nothing spectacular about what Magruder does. I loved what he did for this team as a player, although they were 1.3 points better off with him on the bench, but he was a real hustler defensively and gave them almost 2,000 minutes for the year, but a PR of just 9.1. Not an offensive positive, but he was a, a decent defensive plus for this team. But again, the return of Winslow, the more minutes for Richardson, I think it is going to limit Magruder, and I don't think that he'll be playing 25 minutes a game at all. I think you're looking at more of a 20-minute-a-game sort of a player, and that's going to push him down. Like He was the uh, 309th-ranked player this year. I don't think he's got really any shot of cracking the top 300 next year, and you'll probably see a little bit of a decrease in his playing time just because of the return of those guys. Will Reed. 71 games for Willie, 15 minutes, 5.5 boards, 0.7 blocks, 57% from the field and 56% from the line. And he was a guy where there was just a a ridiculous amount of hype about him at times. People were going, oh, do I just grab him and stash him because Whiteside's going to get shut down? And, you know, I hate that word. When you bring up the word shut down to me, it really just, just ignites a fire under me. It pisses me off. He put up big numbers, right? But... We look at some of these games that he had, and if we have a look at some of his performances when he did um, you know, get the starts, we see he had five starts here. In one of them, he played 18 minutes and had four points and two boards. The next one, he went 22 and 18. The next one, six and three. The next one, 22 and 12. And in all of those games, he had blocks. Two blocks, two blocks, three blocks, one block. They're impressive numbers from Reed. He had another start here of 20 points and five rebounds. At 37 minutes on the 27th of January. He had another double-double in 23 minutes against Atlanta. When the minutes come, the production's there. There's there's no doubt about that with Willie Reed. Now, he does have that $1 million player option, which he will almost certainly decline, and he's not taking over from Hassan Whiteside. They might not let him back. Wherever he goes as a, <clears throat> as a backup, he'll be a player much like an Aaron Baines in Detroit that when he starts, you know you want to have a look at him and, and grab him and stream him in for that time. But he's never going to go anywhere to become a starter. Even if he starts for prolonged periods of time, he will be inconsistent as we saw in that small four-game sample size. 
but he can be an impactful player. Per 36, he averaged 13 and 11 and a half with 1.7 blocks and 0.6 steals. But his game is very much white side like, and there's no assists, no steals, and his block rate is nowhere near what Hassan Hassan's is. Just a, a strong rebounder, solid, efficient scorer. And that doesn't you know, give you massive hopes for him. I think he can be a top 250 guy in the right role, and he was absolutely fine as a backup for this team. But he is 26 years of age already. He's not some young guy waiting to explode. He um he showed enough to to me to be in the league next year. There's no doubt about that. He'll find himself a backup role somewhere, whether that's Miami or somewhere else. But his upside is uh, limited. I don't think he'll ever become a, a starter or a, or ever considered to be a, a good player. Joshy McRoberts, just the 22 games for him, 17 minutes a game, 5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 2.3 assists. So still that high assist rate, which is what we remember from him back in that time with the Charlotte Bobcats, as they were then called, when he was just dishing assists at a ridiculous rate. He was brought in to be that guy to help out Chris Bosch in the front court. It obviously didn't work out. He is still bothered by foot problems, and that is why he opted into that contract. I wouldn't expect to see much of Josh Richardson this season, especially if James Johnson is brought back. Um, not Josh Richardson, Josh McRoberts. I don't think we, you'll expect uh, too much out of him. And uh, his career is uh, pretty much cooked in the NBA at this point at age 29 with all these injury problems that he just can't seem to shake. If he does get starts somewhere and plays 25 minutes, then you know he does give you assists and that can be valuable. But I just do not see him being able to, uh, to maintain any ability just to stay fit and healthy. Now, Lukey Babbitt is the next guy we're going to talk about. He started a lot of games for this year. 55 of his 68 games for the season were starts. He was a 338th ranked player in fantasy, so it shows you just how uh, ungood he was. The team was a negative 0.5 on-off with him. He, he doesn't provide anything from a fantasy point of view, but he did what he needed to do from for this team. He hit 1.3 triples at 41%. Five points, but offers nothing defensively, nothing creation-wise, playmaker-wise. He's just a spot-up shooter, and he did what he needed to do. I was critical of him playing a couple of extra minutes that probably should have gone to James Johnson, but his ability to shoot was key for this team, and I think they would look to bring him back in that role of being able to stretch the floor and hit some threes on a team that did uh, did struggle a little bit with that throughout the season. So he is fine. He is a guy that you stream in. He hit 1.3 threes in 15 minutes. So again, streaming threes is not all that hard to do. You can find these guys around, and Babbitt is one of those players. I don't ever see him being a 25-minute-a-game guy. Uh, if he was a 30-minute-a-game guy, he might be a 14- or 16-team league guy, but He's definitely nothing, uh, nothing super exciting or anything like that. Just look, look at him and don't discount him as a three streamer because that is all he is going to do is shoot threes. In fact, I probably should look at how many, uh, what percentage of his shots were actually threes. I imagine they were pretty, uh, pretty bloody high. Yes. Allenton shot 71% of his shots from three. Babbitt, 75. That is a huge amount. So every shot he takes is basically a three pointer for this team. And that is why he's able to put those numbers up in such limited playing time. Akaro White, another one of the D-League finds from this team, much like Hassan Whiteside, much like Tyler Johnson. Akaro White, 13 and a half minutes in 35 games, three points, two and a half boards, um, 0.3 steals, 0.3 blocks, which is okay as like a uh, undersized, stretchy four sort of a player. He hit, he didn't have the triple one, he had the triple 0.3, hit his threes at 35%. I think they bring him back and he, he, um, you know, plays ahead of, say, Joshua McRoberts in that role as they look to you know, see if they can develop something. Out of Okara White, he's 24 years of age, so he's not super young. He's not super old. I thought he did enough defensively, but from a fantasy point of view, I don't think there's really too much to get uh, to get pumped out with him. Maybe you're in a 30-team league. I think you'll find Okara White be useful in that sort of a league next season, potentially, although he was just the 375th ranked player this season. Um, but pre-All-Star, he was 273rd. So a little bit of hope there that he could become a top 300 guy. So don't um, don't completely write off Okaro White as he starts to develop. And I think he takes some of those uh, McRoberts minutes. As for Udonis Haslam, the last player on this roster, 17 games, 8 minutes, 2 points, 2 boards, 48% from the field, 60% from the line. Um, great servant of this team. Really bad player at this point, whether he returns or not remains to be seen. The team was in his minutes, and how many minutes did he play in total? He played 130 minutes for this team, and the team was 28.4 points better off with him on the bench in that time. His on-off number was horrendously low. There is no fantasy league in the world where you want Udonis Haslam. He's 36 years of age. 
I think that he retires and he is done and he has been a great, great servant of this Miami Heat team. Questions. David Laliberte, how good of a fit would Griffin be on this team as a secondary playmaker to Dragic? Yeah, I, th- I think he's, I think he would fit in really well. Obviously, they do have these other guys who can pass. Waiters, Richardson, Winslow, and Johnson. But if, if Griffin signs, I don't think Johnson returns. I think that Griffin would be totally fine on this team, assuming that he can stay healthy. But we've seen some miraculous health from some of these guys in Miami, like James Johnson, who was able to get into the best shape of his life. Maybe Griffin could stay healthy down there and yeah, top 20 season wouldn't be out of the uh, calculations for Blake in Miami, I don't think. Ryan Yao, does Winslow take a significant leap in production next season? Or do you think he's capped out? Uh, I talked about that before. I think that he can take that step forward. Those shooting numbers are just so horrendously low. There is there's room for 7 8% increases, which really does bump up his ability to score. Hit his threes up, get his percentages up, and then you've got the steals, assists, and blocks there as well. So I think that he's, he can take a big leap forward next year. Justin Gutterman or Gutterman. I'd like to see a roller coaster reward with ups and downs over the season. Whiteside would be a nomination. Was he really that up and down? Did you really think he was that up and down? I don't think he was necessarily that bad. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was pretty good, especially the. I think maybe you're a little bit, um, um, not not brainwashed. What's the word? I'm trying. A little bit um, colored by the uh, fact that he started off a season a little bit slowly, but after that, I thought he was pretty good. Aram Palamudian, does Spolstra really deserve being a Coach of the Year finalist over someone like Brad Stevens, given the poor start to the regular season last year? That's a good point, because yes, they were fantastic down the stretch, but they were horrible to start the year. So for as much praise as he gets for the end of the season, then the second half of the year, or the first half of the year, he should get the criticism. I don't know if I even had him in my top three Coach of the Year when we did the the um, awards, but no, I would have had Stevens ahead of him. I, I agree with you. Kyle Knob does... Whiteside bounce back with his block numbers. Is this who he is now? He's, never, he's not getting 3.7 again, but I do think he can get back to 2.5 after a 2.1 block season this year. And he also asked, does James Johnson hold his role? And did Tyler Johnson leap over Josh Richardson long-term or just this season? Well, you can you say that, but Richardson played more minutes than Tyler Johnson this season. So while it might have seen, seemed like that Johnson leapt ahead of him, Richardson played more minutes despite being injured or played more minutes per game. It was 30.5 versus 29.5. So, no, I don't think Tyler Johnson leapt over him. And as for James Johnson, depends on if they looked to bring someone else in. But if he stays in Miami, I think that he can hold that role and drop, but he'll drop a little bit with the return of Justice Winslow and uh, a healthy Josh Richardson, I think, will also have somewhat of an impact on James Johnson. All right. That will uh, do us for this Miami Heat season in review show. Don't forget to keep subscribed to this podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Dion Waiters.